Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. In this podcast, we talk about the defeat of Brighton, the lowdown of Cameron Archer, look ahead to Millwall and answer your podcast questions. I'm Sean Dyche, we're the Bore Breakdown Podcast, <laughs> and this is my Bore Mash Day Chatter in a pod. Want support. Curtis Fleming is there on the edge of the air. Fleming for Craig Hignett. Hit it, Higgy. Higgy hits the track. Abanelli coming alive again. Janino wants the ball played to him. Abanelli spots out. Hello and welcome to the Bora Breakdown Podcast with Johnny, Dana and Tor. We are the Bora Podcast that gives you all of your Bora match day chatter in a podcast. And a 5-1 defeat for Bora against Brighton. The last time uh, Bora lost five uh, at home was against West Brom under uh, Roberto Di Matteo. And it was 5-0 on 2009. The memories. I just remember Danny Coyne getting lobbed from about 40 yards. Um, anyway... Uh, <laughs> Guys, a big defeat. Borough crash out the FA Cup. Uh, Dana, how are you feeling in three words? Um, I don't know. Probably just business as usual, really. I, I know it was obviously a, a pretty hefty defeat and we can't really beat around the bush. Borough were completely outclassed and outplayed from start to finish, really. Brighton dictated the game in defence, midfield and attack, but it doesn't really sting for me. Um I don't know. It just, I, I never expected Borough to win that game. I actually viewed it very similar to Man United and Tottenham last season. Brighton are a very, very good team. They are stacked with technical quality. And we saw that yesterday. The way that they were just basically, they had Borough exactly where they wanted them. And I, you can't have any complaints, really. So, yeah, business as usual. Tom, how are you feeling? Yeah, my three words are just a difficult watch. Um, I will say that you know Brighton were obviously great yesterday. Um, first five minutes, you could just tell like literally none of their passing was going off target. It was all one touch football. Uh, you know, the the first touch, it was like they had Velcro on their feet. Um, and yeah, you could just kind of see it was going to be a very difficult game. Um, I mean, I knew it was going to be after I watched them play Arsenal on uh, New Year's Eve. I think it was. Um, they played really well to try and get back into that game as well. Um, but it just it 
it still hurts when you see uh, you see him get beat uh, by that much at home as well. Um, con- generally contemplated just leaving before the end because I was like, I-, I can't even be bothered to to watch us concede more. And uh, you know, I've, I've, I think by by the end of the game, by the fifth goal, it looked like we'd given up. The ref had given up because it looked like there was a foul in the build up of it, and he was just like, "I ah, just play on." Like it, there's only five minutes left or whatever, but. Yeah, it, it was just it was a horrible game to watch. To be honest, um, wasn't really impressed by us at all, and just can't wait to get back to the uh, championship next week. Yeah, and I think my three words be a, a big step up. I think you know, we're looking at Brighton yesterday, and you know, you're hearing comments before the game. Oh, it's only Brighton. You know, um, they're just a Premier, they're just a standard Premier League side. They're absolutely superb, like from from top to bottom. You know, in in off off the pitch and running the club on it you know bringing in Roberto De Zerbi as well to improve them further um under, like they did under Potter but yesterday they were just superb um the way they're in possession our possession the way they controlled the game and they just made things really difficult for us and thoroughly beat to be honest and there's nothing to be worried about or ashamed of or anything like that Brighton were just really really good yesterday um and that's that's kind of it really but we will dissect the game uh, now with Tom uh, because you know what uh, Darren Lenham, uh wasn't in the squad and Paddy McNair uh, replaced him um, and it was the only change for Bora but defensively it was a quite a difficult performance for us but how would you assess the overall performance against Brighton Tom? Yeah I mean when I saw the the team sheet get released that was you know a, a bit of a, a worry for me um, just because I think lenahan has been superb recently and I don't rate McNair as a defender uh, I think he's he's more of a midfielder, or you know, in in that wilder system that we have, I thought that that right hand uh, wide centre back position was you know absolutely perfect for him, and and what that role kind of entails. But I don't really rate him as as part of a uh, defensive centre back pairing. Um, and then yeah, the the game was just like I say, you could see in the first five minutes how difficult it was going to be um, from kick off. You know, going back to to one of the Brighton midfielders, and they were just kind of stood there for a good ten seconds with no no one wanted to like press them too aggressively. I thought, um, which I thought was was a good idea in the first half. Um, I thought we were trying to avoid being um, you know uh, lured into certain traps from from Brighton. Uh, we kept our shape quite well. Uh, I thought we were quite compact and. What what I did notice was um, I forgot his name. It's um, I, I thought he was one of the best players on the pitch yesterday. Was it Hitoma Mitoma? Mitoma, yeah, yeah. Um, he was being left in a lot of space on the left hand side quite a lot, uh, but Tommy Smith was keeping compact, following the defensive line over the right hand side, and it was it was really allowing them to to hit that big switch to him when they needed to and and he can just create so well on that left hand side. Um so yeah, I, I thought we had the right ideas defensively, but there were a couple of things like that where it, it just maybe let us down a little bit, but also I don't think we could have done much about it. Um I did think once we got back into it and, and made it one one, we we could have gone on to to get another goal. And I thought Jason Steele did quite well against Riley McGree. 
uh, I would have preferred Ryland McGree kept his shot down because uh, I, I feel like he'd have had a, a better chance if uh, if he'd managed to do that. But from that point, I thought you know we, we can we can probably go on and, and get something else here. But after the second one, I think that that killed our momentum a little bit, and then we just came back out from from halftime and didn't didn't ever look like um, look like the same team really, which I think is. Strange to say, considering what we've spoken about recently, um, you know, going in half time and being confident that we're going to come out with a better team. Um, yeah, I, I just thought they were they, they were too good yesterday. Um, hate, hate saying it because I, I don't really like I say I don't I don't want to see us get beat uh, by that much at home. And then I, when we are, I, I find it quite difficult to appreciate the football the other team are playing. I'd probably appreciate it more if I was a neutral. Um but yeah, uh, and and then I, I know there were were people kind of after the game saying, uh, you know, it's like you said there, Johnny Hudson, it was only Brighton. We we beat Man United and Spurs and last season and had a, a good performance against Chelsea. But what Carrick had said after the game um was that we could have had a separate game plan to try and win this. Uh, but we thought it was more important to, uh, you know, play the way we have been playing and 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 kind of continue on that route, which for me is the only positive from yesterday. Um, Long term, looking at it, that's going to be more beneficial to us than you know the way we we did change game plans against like United and Spurs last season. We didn't go to United at Old Trafford, play you know, absolutely peak wild the ball and play them off the park. <laughs> It was a difficult game, and we could have parked the bush yesterday and, and tried to get something from that. But I think it is more important to, to trust the process, keep playing the, the way we are now, and even if it is short term pain from you know getting absolutely battered yesterday. Hopefully, within the next few years, that that is going to pay off from from making that approach. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there was some, some good play yesterday, uh, Daniel, you know, to come back from 1-0 down and Brighton, on, after after that goal, it felt like the, the switch was flipped and Brighton were able to run right. But how were they able to do that yesterday? Well, I think it was just their movement off the ball. It, you know, very, very neat patterns of play. They were able to have a player drop deep, create triangles, bypass for his players. And I'll tell you what, one point that Tom made there about that big switch to Matoma, I mean, Tommy Smith had a really tough afternoon. We'll get on to that in a second against him. But what epitomised the, the complete contrast, the difference between the two teams is that I think it was Solly March absolutely pinged a ball over to that left-hand side, and it fell right on the toe end of Mitoma. Dale Fry tried that in the very same half to Ryan Giles, and let's just say an attempt was made. It wasn't a good ball. Brighton were able to sweep up, recycle possession, and start an attack of their own. It was a really poor ball. And that just sort of, that was the narrative of the game, a massive, massive gulf in quality. And then they had the luxury of bringing Alexis McAllister, a World Cup winner off the bench, and he, he comes on and he scores two. It was it was really, really difficult for us. I mean, you mentioned it, Johnny, the way that they were able to control the game. I thought in that second half, surely it's about 84 minutes. The game has to be nearly finished by now. It's 64 minutes when I looked at the clock. They had the ability to slow the game right down, even stop it dead at times. And I think that's what makes a good team, your ability to quicken the tempo and then slow it down when you need to. And I do agree with Tom, it was difficult to watch. But then at the same time, I was 
maybe not appreciating because we were getting battered, but I was recognizing how good Brighton were in those patterns of play. And I think they're a team and a football club that we need to to emulate because who would have thought that there would be such a difference between these two sides when we drew against them for that promotion showdown back in 2016. The trajectory of both clubs has, has been very, very interesting. They've got it absolutely spot on off the pitch, which has culminated into a really good team on it. And we saw that yesterday. But yeah, as I said, it didn't sting me so much because I don't think that this is going to absolutely derail our season. It it was a free hit for us. And I will reiterate, I think that was as difficult a game as the Man United and Tottenham from last season. We move on to Millwall now and hopefully we can bounce back because we have bounced back on the Carrick and I do firmly believe that we will on uh, next Saturday. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and, you know, I was I was really impressed with, with Brighton yesterday. I think pound for pound, they are probably one of the best teams in the Premier League um, to, to play against. You know, obviously the, the, you, you obviously have your top six and, you know, people that spend millions and millions, but for what they've spent and what they produce and how they play is really, really impressive. And we've got I've got some stuff on them. So please forgive my Sean Dyche voice um, <laughs> at this moment in time. But, you know, um, I think collectively to what Roberto De Zerbi's done and refining and building on the work that Graham Potter did as well and to make them better was really impressive yesterday. Look at the possession stats yesterday. They had 93% successful passes, um, 68% possession and dispossessed Boring nine times in that time where Boring dispossessed them five times. Um, but they had a similar game plan uh, to what they did against Arsenal uh, instead of what they did against Everton. Against Everton, they played a little bit deeper um, in the press. But when we're looking at them, um, against Middlesbrough, they played really, really high up the pitch. And their aim for this game uh, was to have width to pin Middlesbrough in. Uh, so in that first half, you had your two centre-backs playing on the half halfway line um, pretty much. And then you were trying to stretch Borough as much as they can. And they were playing in a, in a 2-1-3-4 formation. Um, and what they were trying to do was to win it in certain areas. So the win in certain areas was in the width and then in the central areas. So where they caused overloads um, was on the wide. So uh, Lamptey and March on the on the right sides against uh, Giles on the left side, uh, Mitoma um, and I can't remember the left back's name. It's completely Esther gone. Esther Pinion. Esther Pinion. Yeah, thank you. Dear. I only um, know that because it, I put him in my FPL team and then swiftly t- took him out when he wasn't doing anything for me. <laughs> well, Esther Pinion uh, will be very happy to get an assist yesterday because his his <laughs> shot was a lovely shot to McAllister and his touch to bring in was beautiful. But anyway, um, the possession of what they wanted to do um, was to try and pin Middlesbrough back um, with our outlet and Giles and stretch us in, in the wide areas. So in the central area of the pitch, um, they were able to create space, pull us out of position and create chances in the, in the, in the middle of the box, which three, I think it was four out of the five goals yesterday came from that central area, from the uh, from the wings into, into the central area and Middlesbrough caught were just completely pulled apart because of the uh, the overloads that they had from the width. Um, but in terms of the game itself and where it was really interesting for me in the first half, but also in the second half as well, uh, was the battle for the central area. Because if you look, I looked at Middlesbrough in the first half, we were trying to play really high. We were trying to play, trying to play high in our defensive third and we are trying to make it quite difficult. But there was two reasons why both teams wanted to do that. One uh, for Borough was to try and get them on the transition where they could win the ball, they'll try and play it in the half space, um, which I'll call on to in a second. But secondly, if for Brighton, they were wanting to get the ball and if they lost it, they could recover it fairly quickly, stretch it hours out wide, get it down the line and get it, get it in that central area. But as for Borough though, um, 
And, you know, obviously we, we do speak a little bit about the, the wing-backs and how we haven't been able to get much uh, support because the lack of support from the wing-backs from McGree and from uh, Forchester, and it's shown in the average positions that they were both quite central in that half-space area. Um, and that in itself caused Tommy Smith and Ryan Giles and Paddy McNair a lot of problems. But what Borough were trying to do yesterday was to try and win it. And you could see it from the forwards where Crooks and Dayak Pom were trying to peel off the defender, get the half space, because that was the biggest distance between centre-backs and the wing-backs. So Borough could try and break forward. And that's how we did in the first goal. But we didn't We didn't really... We got the ball, we got through the half space, we, we recycled it, got out wide, and we knocked it in the box and scored. But overall... Brighton were really, really good yesterday. The control was really high. They tried to pre- the press was very quickly. They caused all those on the right on on both wings, and that created the central space uh, for them to to score and score five. They did, uh, but Bora did score. Uh, Tom Green um, and it was Chuba and Giles connect again. Um, was that like a kind of impressive that we were able to at least create the chance and also to most probably offensively statistically uh, statistical players were able to contribute and deliver once again. Well, yeah, it's the best, uh, the top scorer and the top assister in the championship combined and again for a goal against Premier League team. And, you know, I, I think that was pretty much our first shot, wasn't it? Because they they absolutely dominated uh, the flow of the game up until that point. But what I did think we were good at in the, the first half was trying to hit them on the break, which isn't something we're particularly used to seeing from us. It's usually the other way around. We're the ones dominating possession and we'll we'll make the, the chances from there. But it, it, it did seem like that was at least acknowledged as as part of the game plan for, for this one thing. Look, they they were committing a lot of players forward. Um I, I did notice, you know, within the first five minutes of the first half, they had five up front and pretty much like two at the back and the rest in midfield. So I thought the way we're going to get something out of this is is to to be quick on the break and and we were and yeah it was uh, it was a good good well worked goal um, Giles obviously getting the cross in and when when the cross is going in from from Giles at, at that height to that area of the box you just know that Akpom is going to get his head on it at the moment and uh, yeah it was a, a great great header and. I mean, I'd, I'd say a great finish, but obviously bounced back off the post, off Steele's head and, and went in. But, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's nice that, you know, Jason Steele's doing that against us now rather than, uh, well, well for us now rather than against us. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's two former players in back-to-back games that helped us contribute to us scoring a goal. You know, George Friend last week, Jason Steele this week. Um, it's it's nice to see, really. I think, you know, we, we are paying them on a on a, a per goal basis like but it's all good you know that's what we want um but then i think after the game you know it's on the, maybe like a bit, one negative i think from yesterday was was comments regarding tommy smith i mentioned it there on the overlords you know the two fullbacks uh, two wingers on him he had a really difficult afternoon um but you think the negative comments were a bit too far because he has played quite well since he's came in I don't know. I didn't really see them um, regarding Tommy Smith, but he did have a, a difficult afternoon. I think Matoma really caused him all sorts of problems, being able to take the ball in so much space. And obviously because of the way that Borough play, Tommy Smith 
essentially becoming part of a back three and a right-sided centre-back, it was always really difficult for him. Plus, it's a bit of a double whammy because Marcus Force is the one that's supposed to be providing him with that defensive stability, tracking back. It's not really Marcus Force's game, is it? So it's the risk that you're willing to take putting a striker out wide, really. But it, it was really difficult for him. And, and I tell you what, it was probably the first time I did think about Dyke Steele because, as I mentioned there, the way that... Tommy Smith operates in this Middlesbrough team is essentially playing as one of the three centre-backs. When Ryan Giles goes forward, the defence shifts over. And when Michael Carrick first came in and he was playing far at the back, I did think, oh, well, Dyke Steele probably not as suited to uh, playing as a right-back as much as a right centre-back because he probably needs to be a little bit stronger starting off def- uh, offensively on his own. But then... Looking at it now, surely that role is perfect for Dyke Steele. And I will say, Tommy Smith has been solid and it's testament to him that it's taken me this long to to have this conversation because he's been a really, really solid, dependable signing for us. But going forward, I know Dyke Steele is, is injured right now, but going forward, maybe there's the potential for Dyke Steele to come back into this team in that specific role because he's good in that position. But... To go back to your original point, it was a really difficult afternoon for Tommy Smith. Um, I actually think most of the criticisms after the game that I saw that I didn't really subscribe to was words banded around like pathetic, embarrassing, disgraceful, all of these really hyperbolic comments. Um, I just don't subscribe to that because for me, it was a one-off game. We weren't ever going to or weren't ever supposed to win it. Yes, we beat Man United to Tottenham last season. Doesn't mean we should beat Brighton. And it was what it was. A game with a massive golfing quality. Borat are at the very beginning stages of the Michael Carrick era. We've got a manager that is probably still figuring things out, in all honesty. He's still growing, still developing. We have to make mistakes to learn. It was a big test for us yesterday that we did not, match up to and you know what for me that's okay it wasn't great seeing us lose but these comments for me I just didn't understand Brighton are not a team that we are superior to anymore and I think you can see that the way that they played the way that they've operated off the pitch so I I wasn't I wasn't really liking some of the comments that came through on on BBC T's yesterday but you know football fans are very passionate people aren't they but I think a lot of the the, the fans in the stadium yesterday, in fact, the majority of them appreciated just that difference because we can be a very vocal bunch, can't we? And there was still light applause at the end of the game. So fair play for that. But yeah, some of the comments after the game I thought were, I, I didn't like. Okay, then. Well, well let's move on um, to questions um, because every week uh, you send us in your questions uh, via Twitter at boring.breakdown or email uh, the board breakdown or hotmail.com or join our Telegram chat with over 290 Bora fans in there chatting everything but Bora. Um, and the first question is from Josh. Um, we'll come to you first, Tom. And he says, Can we realistically go up and stay up as a Premier League team with this current structure at the top of the club? Yeah, I think so. I think it's probably something that they are, they do have a plan for. Uh, I honestly wouldn't be surprised with everything that we've learned uh, from the interviews with Kieran Scott and uh, you know the the visions for the the club going forward. That you know they are considering that it is a possibility that we make playoffs. We we go up this year, and we've probably got signings in mind for that. That being said, we could go down like straight away again but 
off the back of that, you get the parachute payments and you just had a year of TD money. You can reinvest that in the in the squad fairly quickly in uh, in the championship, carry on building and, and try and go back up. Um so ultimately, even if we were relegated, it would be a good thing to to go up in that scenario. Um I, I don't you know, I don't think that the structure at the the top of the club is gonna be a reason that we go down or anything like that. I think you know, the organization from from what we've been told is seems much better than than recent years. We've got a long term plan and it like I say wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be a surprise to me if this wasn't already planned for this season, uh, just in case. Yeah, I think we're definitely like setting ourselves up to to be a Premier League club again. You know, this is a new structure with Kieran Scott now and he's he's trying to to build out more of the recruitment side of things, the off side the off the pitch stuff that we don't really see. And um, not just recruitment, but the way we manage day to day. But then also, you know, we've got um like Michael Carrick, who's just brand new into a role. We need to upgrade the current playing squad if we were to go up as well, because it's quite it's such a, a leap in class down the Premier League in comparison to the Championship. But what do you think? We've got the next question from uh, Jacob there, and he says, "What do we need to do to be ready to take on take on these Premier League sides?" I feel like it's it comes and it, it links a little bit to the last question. But what do you think we need? Time. I think that's the biggest thing because, yes, you can have the money and I think smart investment is important as well. But I think we just need time. You said it last week, Johnny, this is the first iteration of what Borough truly want behind the scenes and the structure. I think obviously we've had Kieran Scott for what has it been, I think a year now, but collectively that structure just wasn't right under the last manager. And and Kieran Scott mentioned it when Michael Carrick came in that his work starts now and this is really where we start to judge Kieran Scott. I think we just need time. You know, we've got a new head of uh, recruitment as well, head of academy recruitment. We've got some new roles at the club. You know, Aaron Dank's coming in as well as a coach. Um, there's a lot of newness to this team. Most importantly, of course, Michael Carrick as well. So it just needs time. It needs time to, to progress, to grow, as I said, to make mistakes because you don't learn if you don't make mistakes to start with. So... It just needs time. That, for me, is what it boils down to, ultimately. Yeah, and, and this the, the next question as well, uh, Dan, it's around uh, defensively, uh, our defensive side of the game, because Keith says, even when we're winning games, we struggle to keep a clean sheet. Uh, do we simply have to accept our style of play? Uh, we'll ship more goals than we'd hope, uh, or is there a prospect to solidify at the back without losing our offensive ability? So what do you think? I think maybe... The solution is a player profile thing because as we have it now, the two centre midfielders are good at playing with their back to goal, playing on the half turn, receiving the ball in those tight situations and then progressing the play through there. But when I think about that left-hand side of the pitch, I think, right, Dyle Lenahan has to cover two bases, really, because the way that Ryan Giles plays, of course, he's on the team sheet as a left-back, but he plays as a left-winger. And because he's so high up the, up the pitch, when Borough get picked off on the counter-attack, it's, there's, there's a massive onus on, on Dyle Lenahan to be able to effectively cover that space. Maybe what we could look at in the January transfer window is a centre midfielder that can almost play that Jordan Henderson role like at England and Liverpool where because Trent Alexander-Arnold is playing, I guess in a similar way to to Ryan Giles, isn't he? So advanced up the pitch, playing as an offensive player really, more than a defensive player. You'll see Jordan Henderson essentially play as a right back 
maybe that's what Bourne need. And a Jason Knight at Derby, for example, I'm pretty sure he's been playing at, um, on the left for them this season. He's a workhorse. He's got a fantastic engine. He's a relentless presser. Um, and I think he could potentially be uh, the type of, let, let me say an example of a player that we, we could look at that way he maybe tucks into that left side and then Riley McGree, his position is very fluid, isn't it? He could potentially drop in as one of the centre midfielders. So it's very fluid positionally. Maybe that's just what we need. Player profile, maybe looking to upgrade a house for example, uh, and giving something different in midfield. I gave an example there, but maybe that's just what it is. Rotating the pieces to be able to negate the issues that we see. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with you as well, D. Like, um, I think it's very easy to point fingers, you know, say, Stefan, why is it not kept, kept clean sheets? Don't look at that metric. But you know, you know what I mean? You'll, you'll see it. But like, um, but Stefan has kept clean sheet in a while. Um, we're not, we're conceding lots of goals. Let's just upgrade our whole defense and that'll solve all the problems. It doesn't really work that way. It's a collective effort, isn't it? So how you press, how we get, uh, how we have our shape. But in terms of the, the last question, uh, Tom, and it's from, uh, Tom, it's from Dom. Um, uh, he, says, <laughs> what, he says, what's the plan at the back? Nine subs in Norway, subbing uh, the Wolfel McNair, uh, who seems to have lost all confidence and fight sadly. Uh, but what do you think? Do you think, what is the plan at the back? Do you think you're going to allude similar to what Dana said there? Um, obviously McNair couldn't really be changed yesterday I don't think we had another defender on the bench right is that right well yeah I was going to say and Baller yeah I was going to say 
defence has, has now became a, a, a bit of an issue and, and an area where we've been injury hit. Because you look at, you know, three players who could play centre-back, Dykesdale, Clark and Lenahan all out injured yesterday. McNair's probably fourth choice behind them and, uh, you know, he, he's having to play as a uh, centre-back pairing with, with Del Fry yesterday with no one really to replace him unless you put Mark Bowler there, who, uh, although he's uh, a, a very tall six foot one, um, you know, <laughs> isn't a centre-back. So <laughs> um, I wouldn't be surprised if we look at another centre-back during this window. Because um, I was thinking about this the other day. Um, obviously, we were looking at three or four signings it was reported as. We've got Cameron Archer up front, Dan Barlasser in midfield, apparently, according to the, the Rotherham Twitter and message boards is like all all but done, and then it's like where where are the other two positions we're we're recruiting for? Personally, going into this season, I would have thought that we'd have added another option to to centre back, and I think especially now we're playing a a four. The only four that I'd, I'd kind of really want playing there are Fry, Lenahan, Dykesdale, and Clark, and obviously three of them are are injured. I don't know if we look at maybe a short-term kind of stopgap uh, until Dykesdale and, and Clark are back, maybe get a loan signing in um, or, or something like that. But then on the other side of things, uh, I agree with what Dana said um, about getting that sort of midfielder and who can can cover for, for Ryan Giles. That could also help. Um, just like I say, I, I don't think McNair's suited to that centre-back position at all. I think we covered it a lot of times last year and positionally um he's not great in that position um I, I, like I said I think he's a good player and everything I think he's he's better in the in the midfield role um but I think he did go missing for a few um you know goals against us us last year and it, it's not a position I want to kind of see him playing in so either a, a stopgap loan sign at the back maybe a permanent and or you know, a, a ball winning midfielder who can kind of cover on that left hand side. I'll tell you who I would quite like. One of the two Brighton centre backs yesterday, not Colwell, obviously. I mean, <laughs> dreaming there, but Van Heck. <clears throat> Van Heck, I think, would be a good sign. I mean, he's right footed. We're probably in this conversation, we're speaking about the role that McNair was in, which was the, the left side. But Van Heck at Blackburn last season was a good good defender it's just what his situation is at Brighton I'm not so sure but yeah maybe a, a stopgap option um but I, I do think centre-backs may be less of a priority than the wings for example if we've got Barlasa and I don't know whether those rather message board posts uh, um have any substance to them or not but um if we've got that brilliant different option in midfield need wingers and then you're probably looking at a centre-back for me Hans Delcroix at Anderlecht, left centre back. <laughs> no, I mean, that's all going to depend on work permits, so no. it is. It is, yeah. Um, but I, I do love Hans Delcroix. I think he's fantastic. Um, but no, I, th- I find it very interesting the defensive chat now because you know it's when we were winning games, defence just doesn't get spoke about. Like a goalkeeper doesn't get spoke about. Um, but as soon as you lose a game, it is the worst thing ever, and it needs to be repaired straight away. Um, but look, we know the underlying issues. We've seen us concede goals, but we're winning games. And it shows like sometimes clean sheets aren't all that 
like you know they all if you're winning games it doesn't really matter does it right because but you know now that we've lost a game it's the worst thing in the world and we need four new defenders a new goalkeeper and <laughs> press more <laughs> um but no in all, in all seriousness i think look we, we need to go on the market we need to improve slightly and refine stuff a little bit but that's not the worst thing in the world you know there's still plenty of positives to, to build on um but Bora have been in the market uh this week because Cameron Archer has signed uh for Middlesbrough on a six-month loan from Aston Villa uh the forward was going to we were trying to hope to sign the forward on a permanent deal in the summer but we've got him on loan to help us uh kick us up to the Premier League maybe you know who knows um Cameron Archer up top with Chewbrack Palm that CA connect would be fantastic won't it <laughs> um but Dana what's your thoughts on the signing of Cameron Archer because he really excited you didn't he at the start of the season I like that CA connect. I've always wanted a little, uh, you know, like a SAS and MSN, like maybe that's our own version of that. Um, But yeah, I am really, really happy with Cameron Archer signing for us. I think as far as January signings go, I don't feel like he could get much better than him. He hit the ground running at Preston and, and remember he did join them in January as well. So he can make an instant impact as they saw themselves. And I think if we can get him up and running, we'll get into the top six at the end of the season. I'm fairly confident in saying that because he is a brilliant player and he's very clinical. Seven goals from 7.2 non-penalty XG last season, which if I just bring my notes up, um, was the 81st percentile rank uh, per 90 for um, non-penalty expected goals. If I look at at FB ref, He's just very clinical, you know, seven goals from mm. from 21 shots, four goals in four appearances for, for England under 21s, I believe. Um, I think a high-frequency dribbler, over three dribbles per 90, which is the 85th percentile rank uh, versus forwards in the championship last season. I think when you have a, a dribbly forward, shall we say, the more dribbles that you attempt, the more that you'll probably not complete unless you're a Dama Triora. But still, uh, one... Uh, yeah, just over one completed triple per 90, which was the 68th percentile rank versus forwards in the championship last season. Still above average. And I looked into his stats a little bit more. A presser from the front as well, uh, 0.5 tackles per 90 in the final third. The 93rd percentile rank, uh, Illiman and Jai was the top rank there with 0.69, so not too far away. Uh, and when I looked at his stats at uh, at Preston, sorry, when I looked at a few of his clips at Preston, he linked up really, really well with with Daniel Johnson. Um, and I'm thinking maybe if he plays as that number nine, you can see a good link up there between Riley McGree and uh, Cameron Archer. He does like to operate in the left flank and left uh, half space as well. So we could potentially see him play in that Riley McGree position. But I am really, really happy with the signing of Cameron Archer. I think that is an absolutely brilliant signing. Whether or not it works out for him, I think Bora have made the right decision bringing him in. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, if we were one of the teams that were after him in the summer before Stevie Gerrard put the block on that. But I'm really, really happy. I think that is a, a brilliant signing. Uh, Ryan Law said uh, about him last season that his quality levels are fantastic. He's bullish, strong, he can roll. And he's got that little burst of pace too. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do. I think he's going to be a... I, I do think he's going to be a successful signing for us because we've got the platform to be able to make sure that these signings and these strikers are a success with with Giles, uh, with that pump being a good link-up striker as well. Um, the two, I think, can play off each other really well. Mm. 
And uh, obviously yesterday, Tom, we didn't really see much of him uh, given uh, Brighton's about 99% possession in the second half. But uh, how, how, what's your thoughts on the, on the signing? Well, first off, I just want to say that I found Dennison dribbly forward for Cameron Archer far too <laughs> funny there. <laughs> Can we make that a thing? Kind of like target man poacher dribbly forward. Oh, that's but <laughs> um, I, I was happy with the signing. Um, I won't, won't lie, I've not seen too much of him. Um, I, I watched a couple of Preston games last season, including the one where they battered us. Um, and I think he obviously scored that day, didn't he? So... He he looked a good player from what I saw, um, but I hadn't seen a whole lot of him. Uh, the Preston fans seemed absolutely gutted when we signed them, so that's already a good start. And then I was looking at some of the Villa fans' reaction as well, and they were kind of saying, you know, I, I thought he might have been in and around the, the first team. If we can just get him into the team and get him going, he, he'll like be a difference maker for us. There was another guy who was replying to a Borough fan asking what we can expect. And he said he plays like a young Jermaine Defoe. And I was like, well, well, if he's like a young Jermaine Defoe, then you can't go wrong with that, surely, because he was a quality striker. Um, and I can kind of see what, what they meant from the the brief appearance yesterday. He's very quick, um, quite strong as well. Um, fairly similar build as well. I, I think he's, he's, he did seem a little bit shorter. Um, but then again, I was at the um, at the top of the West Stand, so I don't know, anyone might have seemed shorter from up there. <laughs> but um, but he, he did seem, uh, seem bright when he came on and, um, you know, he, he could have had uh, a couple of chances, well, half chances in, in what we had. But I'm, I'm looking forward to, to seeing more of him, really. Um, and also we've got this um, graphic from Foreseeable, for anyone on uh, on YouTube watching, but you can kind of see the the percentile stats from from what we can expect from him. Um, high expected goals, uh, a lot of uh, offensive duels, shots. So he he does from that look like he is going to be the type of striker who can create a, a chance for himself and uh, get past a player. Aerial duels is understandably quite low there, um, but I don't think we're going to be putting a lot of balls into the box for him to to win uh, headers from. Um, and then you can see uh, on the possession stats there a lot of dribbling, um, dribbling success only around the um, between the forty fifty percent mark. But at least he's trying it, and and from that he's he's creating his chances and being able to kind of create uh, key key passes for for um, other players in the team as well. So. Overall, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing what uh, Archer has to offer. I think yeah. that high expected goals, sorry, just high expected goals, is probably because he wants to to shift the ball into these spaces. Obviously, I said dribbly forward there. He wants to be able to um, take the ball in these tight areas where he is getting marked. He wants to take the ball beyond and create those opportunities for himself that are probably high value opportunities. He seems both footed. In all honesty, when I was looking at his goals. There were right footed goals, left footed goals. I think that probably just maximizes the potential for those high expected goal uh, opportunities. So I think that is brilliant to have. And he's somebody that offers us a bit different. He, uh, I think Michael Carrick said or told Cameron Archer that he was the the missing piece. So in terms of you know playing off the shoulder, getting in behind, stretching the defense, I think Borough maybe lacked that a little bit. So. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I really am. I think again, playing and operating in those left spaces could link up really well with Randy McGree, or he could play in his position, but in mm. a different sort of way. So 
I'm looking forward to seeing what he can what he can do. I'm I'm a really really big fan of, of Cameron Archer in this signing. Yeah, he's a, he's a pressy, dribbly forward, isn't he? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, but no, in all honesty, I think it's, it is a really good sign from us, isn't it? You know, I think he's exactly what we need um, in terms of creating our own chances. But I think the pressing stats and the defensive stats were really, really strong. It looks like he's able to, to press the centre-halves or try and get the wing-backs into creating errors uh, to create the space for us to get forward for Akpom to do that. But then also his finishing stats were excellent and you can see why. Um, a lot of uh, Preston fans are very disappointed to to see him come to Middlesbrough. Um, but speaking of a Preston fan, uh, we spoke to Ben HD uh, to get his insight on Cameron Archer during his time at Preston. All right, guys, hope you're all well. So Cameron Archer to Middlesbrough. I'm not going to lie, as a North End fan, I'm a little bit good. I was holding out the smallest shred of hope that maybe we'd be able to tempt him away in January, but I think he was always more likely to go for a side gunning for a promotion like you. So in terms of the play himself, I think you're getting an absolutely cracking striker, especially for the championship. Archer was probably one of the most natural finishers that I've ever seen at Preston. He really is that good. He had that instant impact impact when we signed him he scored in his debut and he just continued to get better from that point onwards really in terms of the player I think his all-round game really developed throughout his time at Preston very good dribbler can go past a man has that burst of pace but probably the best thing about him is his movement he was exceptionally good at playing off the last man beating the offside trap and just his movement in around the box and his ability to get a shot away and work an angle for a shot from the most unlikely of places I think he really developed like I said in terms of his time here there were a few conversations in the early months that we had Archer that yes he's obviously a fantastic finisher um, and player all around but how well did he fit into our system alongside Emil Reese and sort of working that striker partnership and it probably did take a little bit of time to go ahead and work out that you know both of them wanting to be the sort of main man in the team um, and the player on the end of things but in the final few months especially I think the pair really worked on that partnership between them and the perfect example probably that game we had against you at Deepdale towards the end of the season when we beat you 4-1 you know they both linked up for a goal and we had quite a few examples of those towards the end of the season and just thinking about the potential for Akpom linking up with Archer this season for you guys I think that's a scary proposition I think with this signing you've massively boosted your promotion chances because he is like I say one of the most natural finishers I've ever seen at North End. So natural finisher, um, presser, and Preston are very disappointing. But uh, then, how do you think he can fit up, uh, fit up front with with Akpom? Because you know he's had a really good uh, um, link up with Crooks, uh, with Force. But can he do it with Cameron Archer? What do you think? I think so. Akpom is very good at dropping deep, isn't he? And, and very good at being able to essentially pull centre backs out of their intended position to effectively mark him as Carrick said as I mentioned on the last podcast he's a marked man now is Tubrat Pom and I think that could be the perfect platform for Cameron Archer to be able to do his thing it will be interesting from these Ryan Giles crosses who's actually going to get on the end of them because Akpom seems to be popping up in in the perfect spaces to be able to receive those balls and what Ben said there the movement from Cameron Archer I think it's going to be interesting to see exactly how they're actually going to link up but in terms of what I mentioned there, Akpom dropping deep, um, Archer playing just off the shoulder, I think it could be a really, really good 
um, partnership. I just hope they don't get in each other's way when they eventually do get into those positions. But you probably actually see at Pom more on the right or leaning more towards the right side of the pitch, whereas Archer will probably be more towards the left. So I think they could really complement each other. And immediately when they came on, when Archer came on uh, yesterday, there was, I mean, he didn't really have much of an opportunity. He had ample time, not ample opportunity to be able to actually impose the game, such as just the game state, um, you know, Brighton just passing the ball. We, we couldn't get anywhere near it, could we? But there was a, a part where he dropped deep and he linked up really well with Housen to create a one-two or to create a triangle. And um, I thought that was, that was good from the very little that we saw, and when he came on, he immediately went to Alpom and, and just gave him instructions. So I'm I'm interested to see how that develops, how that link up plays out. But I do think that it can work because individually they're, you know, Alpom's playing fantastically. I think individually I do really rate um, Cameron Archer as well. So I think we will see a, a good share of, of goals from them too. Just to add on to that as well, um, I think based on what we've heard from from Akpom before, I think especially after the Blackpool game where he's like, when I get the ball, I know exactly where everyone's going to be. I really wouldn't be surprised if if Carrick already has in his mind, and Carrick and the coach and staff, how they want them to play together. And I think they're both that type of intelligent striker where they're going to take those instructions on board and they're going to know where they need to be for everything. Um, so I, I'm also hopeful that they're not going to get in each other's way. And I, I think I'm pretty op- optimistic that, you know, the training ground uh, work for in, on this tactic is going to be beneficial for them both. And I'm really looking forward to seeing that link up. Just off the back of that as well, a point that I, I missed out that I, I think has to be highlighted is Aaron Danks is here. And uh, Arch has mentioned in both the interviews that we've heard of him, he's mentioned Aaron Danks. So in terms of that settling in period, having a coach that you have a really good and strong relationship with, you know, in your previous club or your, you know, you know parent club, I think that would be really, really good just to be able to make sure that he is embedded into this team. So I think we do have all of the tools for him to be successful. So now I'm fully expecting him to score three goals and then go on loan to like, I don't know, some French team next season, much like Balogun's done and score, you know, as much as Balogun has. But hopefully not. Hopefully he scores all of them at Middlesbrough. Yeah, um, you took that comment right out my uh, mouth then. I was about to say about, uh, thanks for being in, but thank you for for them. But anyway, you you saved my my voice. Um, Tom, uh, you know, now we're we're another another forward in the building. Uh, we've we've got options done. Um, you know, there's there's plenty of strikers to go around. Um, but what do you think this means for for Munis and Hoppy now? Do you think this is kind of them potentially uh, moving on, but in different circumstances? You know, Munis back to Fulham, Hoppy going on one. I think if it's either of them, it's more likely to be Munis, and I wouldn't be surprised if all the way through this window. In the background of us trying to get our own business done, we're trying to help him and Fulham facilitate another move somewhere else. That being said, our our options up front now uh, are great. I, I mean, I was looking at the um, the, the bench yesterday. I had Muniz, Hoppy and Archer all sat on the bench. And I was like... What more as well? And, and what more, yeah. So four quality options you can potentially bring off off the bench and, and help kind of uh, change your change your game so like I said I, I think it's more likely to be Muniz um, I, I would see Hoppy still sticking around this season I don't think he's going to go out on loan anywhere but um, I, I think there's possibly more of a chance we see Muniz go somewhere else 
When does the MLS season start? It's it's quite awkward, March. isn't it? It's Where every like March. Because I'm just thinking, I'm pretty sure there was a, a report suggested anyway that an MLS team was interested in Hoppy before he joined Middlesbrough, so potentially there's scope there for him to go to the MLS. But yeah, their calendar is very different to ours, isn't it? So potentially not. Okay, then. Well, let's uh, move on to Millwall then now because uh, the Lions are also out of the FA Cup. They got beat 2-0 yesterday against Sheffield United, um, but they are flying in the championship uh, this season. They are in sixth place and Gary Rowe is doing a fantastic job there. Um, so just to get some insight on Millwall, we spoke to Alex from that Millwall podcast to get a little bit more about the Lions this season. It's been a very good first half of the season for everyone associated with Millwall and I think they'll agree with that. Any fan you ask will say, look, no one expected us to be as high in the table as we are coming into this game. I mean, we're going to be sixth coming into this, coming into a real crucial period of games now. And it's also going to test if we can get to this level and test whether we really can be in and around those playoff positions come the end of the season. It's been an interesting season, really quite similar to last season for Millwall, to be honest. Very good at home, not so good away. Have begun to put some performances in away from home lately. The 4-2 win at Preston just before the World Cup. The 2-0 win at Watford on Boxing Day. We're beginning to see now what this team can do. They're beginning to settle the likes of Zian Fleming being very, very influential. Andreas Vogelsammer has started to score goals as well. It's beginning to look key and players come into form at a a very important time going into, this is what I call that crucial part of the season, that main block now between Christmas and Easter. It really does get tight, get tense. But you look at the championship table, it's ridiculous, isn't it? You know, four points separating, I think it's fourth and 14th. It's crazy. I, I actually mentioned probably two key players there, two Watch out for come Saturday. One being Zian Fleming got eleven championship goals. There's a lot of goals to his name. Very creative. Will shoot from anywhere. Just look at his goal at, at Rotherham back in uh, I think it was October time. He scored a great goal up there, and that's what got Millwall a point. And he's got on some goal scoring run after that as well. He's settled down a little bit lately, but still very very influential. Pulls the strings for Millwall in midfield. Uh, Andreas Vogelsam has started to find the net as well. Got one against Watford has looked dangerous since then uh, in games over the Christmas period against Bristol City. He looked quite good. He looked good against Rotherham as well. So again, that's one to watch out. And also Tom Bradshaw, the only recognised striker that Millwall have got at the moment following the departure of Benica Fobi to Dubai. So that's another one to watch out for. In terms of the January transfer window, again, we've got to bring in strikers. Only one striker now, and that is Tom Bradshaw. So we've really, really got to bring in someone in those forward areas. We've also, we need someone out on the right of midfield as well to produce those crosses, produce the chances. So a little bit light in a couple of areas. Um, And I think Gary Rowett knows that. He's set that for his plans for the January window to improve the squad with a bit of quality. Um, So that would be interesting to see. Going up to Borough, difficult place. Difficult place. We've not had too much success there in, in recent years. But I know that, I believe Borough scored in every game under Michael Carrick. So 
I think it's going to be interesting. Um, I'm going to go for a 1-1 draw. A lot of the time you see Millwall, they, they don't always go out to win games. And I'm sure going up to Borough, they take a draw, come home unscathed and try and win the home game after. So it will be difficult. It won't be easy. Borough, especially since they've been taken over by Carragher, a lot better outfit. And I think it will be a very tough afternoon. But I think and I'm confident the Lions can get a point out of it. I'm going to go 1-1. So thank you very much uh, for that, Alex. So one striker, the surprise to be in the playoffs, but they are playing well um, and they want a 1-1 draw. Um, fifth versus sixth, who would have thought that at the start of the season? Um, <laughs> are you surprised uh, that Millwall are doing so well this season? Mm, not really, because I think they were doing, they, they were sort of on the same ascent last season, weren't they? They're probably at the same point in the season as well. And I think they have recruited quite smartly. I know Fleming is a data darling and a lot of the, the you know data enthusiasts were quite big on him. So I'm not surprised that he's been a, a good addition for them. But they're, they're always a strange one, Millwall, because when you look at the team or the, the championship laid out from 1 to 24, never really expect Millwall to be in there. Mm. But I think they're probably... And, and I suppose we... Uh, beneficiaries of this as well of how weird the championship can be and teams that you probably do expect like Norwich this season for example the teams that you do expect to be up there and to be you know the, in the top two top three not reaching those um, heights or maybe to answer your question um, no but also yes um, it's, it's a weird one but yeah they're, they're a, a decent team I don't think they'll end up in the playoffs but they are there at the moment and you know they're they're a difficult team to break down they need to be there or thereabouts uh as a classic term (laughs) Uh, noisy game uh, in the championship tom uh johnny I was going to say that, yeah, Tom, there's no easy game in the in the championship. Um, <laughs> uh, but how are you surprised at how well Millwall are doing this season? But also, how do you think Borough overcome them as well? I'm not surprised, but um, I think it's just because I always see Millwall as, as that type of club who just absolutely screams seven for eight. Like, <laughs> and I was just thinking about this um, while while Alex was talking there. It was like they're always that club where they're like they're up there. Or they've done spectacularly bad, and they're like down the uh, the other end of the table. And I was like, hang on, we're like that as well. Like they're just maybe the London version of us, um, which is, is quite strange. But um, and, and it's the same kind of thing with Gary Rowett as well. I I, I thought I always thought he was a, a good manager, but thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, he, he's another one who just like I dissociate with seventh or eighth. So it's it's kind of weird. Um, so I'm I'm not surprised that they're up there. No, um, I, I do think we'll we'll beat them, but um, yeah, it's just always in my mind. They're always just kind of like there and threatening the playoffs. Yeah, and to be honest, um, I, I'm not surprised either that they're near up there. But in terms of like how they play and how they set up, you know, they are in that four-two-three-one. Seeing Fleming is in the ten, um, they are like to like they get the ball, long balls into the channels, but also to create space as well. And also, they're very good from set pieces, which I'm not surprised with with their defense being. I think I think all of them are over six foot, uh, six foot one. So I feel sorry for Mark Baller. Um, you know, <laughs> well, actually, then then again, he's he's tall. He's probably the smallest six foot one person I've ever seen in my life. Um, <laughs> 
But um, yeah, it's gonna be a really difficult game for us, you know. I think they've got some really good talent. Uh, Savile, you know, coming back again. But be interesting to see how they play up front as well. Obviously, the one forward now. May- maybe we'll be getting a forward in before the the, the game against us. But we'll let who's we'll we'll see. Um, Dana, save me from my voice. Um, what's your predictions uh, <laughs> for Borough versus Millwall on Saturday? I'm gonna go two one, and the reason why I'm not going two nil is because. Vogel Sammer plays for uh, Millwall, who is an ex-Bielefeld player. Elliot, who used to be on the podcast, um, visited Bielefeld, adopted them as, as his German team, and was a big fan of Vogel Sammer. So I think Vogel Sammer will score and, and blow Els a kiss, but I think we'll win. He's going to save you in the concourse, won't he? You want to see that? Yeah, kiss? probably will be, yeah. yeah. He won't <laughs> see that. He won't see that. I think he's still there now. Um, Tom, what, what's your predictions? <laughs> I would go three one. Um, I, I do think we'll we'll have a, a bounce back from from yesterday. I see us winning this. You know, I, I remember watching the uh, the away game with you, Johnny, and I was just thinking, like, I don't know how this result is happening. I mean, obviously at the time we were rubbish under Wilder, but I was like, they weren't mm. especially good at that point uh, in, in that game. So I, I do expect us to kind of get re- get revenge there. I'm going three one. I also just don't see us keeping a, a clean sheet. Well, you know what? I see us keep McLean cheat. Um, I think we will win 2-0. Um, I'll take I'll take 2-0, but it'll, I think it'll be a really difficult game, won't it? Um, you know, the way that they set up, the way that they're full of confidence and, and wanting to be a bit aggressive on how, how we play. It's going to be really interesting to see how we react to the physical side of the game um, against Millwall. But, you know, really good sides. But I'll take a 2-0. I'll take a 2-0. Um, but guys, thank you very much, Uh for joining me as always and to the listeners and the viewers thank you very much for watching us and listening to us and if you're not subscribed uh, to board Brecht on youtube uh please do get our subscribers up but also if you're not subscribed to your podcast provider do that and you can also give us a five star rating that helps us get found uh by other borough fans other championship fans and it helps us grow as well uh but that's it borough crash out of the fa cup it was a seagull in class flocking ella this has been the borough breakdown podcast and that was like a borough match day chatter in a pod Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.